Hi, pals. Welcome to Leaders Learning, a podcast of conversations with great leaders. I'm the host, Blaine Hill. About halfway through 2020, I wanted to hear from really strong leaders about how they are leading in the many challenges of the year. This podcast is the result of those conversations. I have a request for you. If you would subscribe or review the podcast on Apple iTunes, five stars, please, and thank you. If you really like it, share it with someone. Today, I'm speaking with Bob Staten, who is the president of Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina. He is a member of the class of 1968 of Presbyterian College and has his law degree from the University of South Carolina. Previously, Bob served as the chairman and CEO of Colonial Life Insurance. Bob has a clear sense of what leadership means, helping people move forward to a place they would not go on their own. Leadership means moving forward. I was particularly interested to hear Bob talk about not getting hung up on every little detail, but focusing on continuing to move forward. Bob sees listening listening to truly understand as a key element of leadership. Hi, Bob. 2020 has had a lot of surprises for everybody. Have you been particularly surprised by anything in leading Presbyterian College? Well, I've learned to be surprised by everything. Uh, especially this year, because everything is constantly changing. I think the most difficult thing for people in these times is the fact that there is no certainty. There is no frame of reference for most of the things we're dealing with. So you have to get comfortable with the fact that whatever you decide today could well need to be changed tomorrow. And we've experienced that with many of the things we've done. It's, It's just evolving. So it's really dealing in a world that has no uncertainty. It has, has uncertainty, but it has no benchmarks, a path, the historical things to look at to see what you might do. So it's really hard to predict and figure out. And everything you do, you want to get good input, uh, try to utilize it and make the best decisions you can, but realize you may have to change them. You mentioned some things that changed and changed again at, at the college. Uh, do, do you have any particular examples that you can think of? Well, it just started at the beginning when we extended spring break a week, thinking we would come back in two weeks instead of two. And then we ended up saying, no, we're going to wait another week. And then finally we said, okay, we're not going to try to come back. So it just evolved. And then as you begin to look at things like we were going to have a graduation, we thought about doing this, doing that. And then it just evolved that you couldn't do it in that time frame. And the same thing has evolved as we've worked and we are open on campus, but we've really had a lot evolving work over the last four months to prepare to do that. And we've had to change it and adjust it as we go along. And we're still doing it right now because things continue to change. This is a more general question. What do you have a basic understanding or philosophy of leadership? Well, that's a good question. I guess my approach is that you want to, it, in leadership, you want to take, people or help people go somewhere they wouldn't go on their own. You want to try to encourage them, motivate them to move in directions that they hadn't thought about going or take risks or do things uh, that they hadn't thought, thought about doing. And in order to do that, you've really got to get good people around you. 
everybody that you have working with you needs to be a lot brighter than you are. At least in my case, they do. And, and you, so you get good thoughts and good views in terms of doing that. But I think it's trying to get people to move to go places they wouldn't go on their own. Uh, and to trust their judgment and get them to trust yours as you move forward doing it. Again, I wonder, are there particular examples of that at Presbyterian College you can think of? Well, I think I think in, in everything, I think we have done, we came back after I'd been here about a year and a half, and we did a strategic plan. And we made some decisions in the course of doing that that were pretty, some were controversial, uh, they, in my opinion, they were all the right decisions. They were done with input, but one in particular that I don't know that we would have gone there. We needed to go there was we made a decision to move our football program from division one scholarship to division one in the pioneer football league, which is non-scholarship division one football. It's the only conference other than the Ivy league that does that, which was a, a big decision that was, not received well by some. It was an important decision that we needed to make, but it was also received well by some, and we stuck to it and we went through it. And uh, the key to our getting through it was getting up in front of everybody, whether they liked it or didn't, and answer their questions, go through the reasons, talk about all the things that related to them, let them vent, let them do this. And it was a part, It that was a linchpin to our plan, which was to continue to grow the college. We ended up building new dorms. We renovated several buildings. We started a physician assistant program. We're starting an occupational therapy program this January, a doctoral program in that. So it opened the door to do a lot of things, but it was really a difficult decision because it had a long history, a hundred year history to the football program. Yes. I, I certainly heard about when that decision rolled out. I did too. It is interesting to see that one difficult decision to stick to has been essential in allowing you to do the other pieces. I've noticed from this distance, the Presbyterian College has done a good job of expanding both undergraduate and its graduate programming. And, and quite frankly, another one that we just did in the last month, a little more than a month, related to, to the racial unrest in, in the country and, and all that's going on around that. Uh, it was an issue here that we needed to deal with. It's a difficult issue. Uh, I cr- we created a group. I charged a group with going out and working on it and had students, faculty, staff, and had some trustees on it and charged them with going out and doing it. They came back with some recommendations, some of which were controversial or wouldn't be received well by some, but we ended up adopting them. The board adopted them unanimously. We're moving forward on them. And it was things that we needed to do. You could spend a lifetime arguing over every word that's in it. And my view was the issue needed to be dealt with. We needed to do better. Uh, as a college, we need to do better as a country in that area. And we need to, to quit squabbling over a word here, or a word there. And a squabbling is probably not a good way to say it, but you, you've got to decide and say, okay, we got to move this ball forward. And we did that. And again, that was another one that you get a lot of, you got opinions on both sides. And I respect all of those opinions. But at some point, if you're in a leadership position, you have to make those decisions. And they're hard. They're hard decisions. And they're hard to work through because you're really standing out there. Although you're not by yourself, you're close to it. And even though you've got support, the others, it focuses on you and it can get very personal. So you need to be convicted of what you're deciding. And you you won't be right every time, but you got to be willing to step out and do it. I guess the first question that comes to mind, what were those decisions uh, that the college made? 
Well, we, we, one, the first was we did issue an apology and acknowledgement that we have not done the things we, over the years, we have not done things we probably should have done related to that to make it better. We acknowledge that. That was probably the hardest part to get people to, to agree on, to do, but we did. And they came together around, the board came together around. We spent a lot of time talking about doing it. A key to that was having the right group together to work on it. And when I say the right group, representatives of the key areas needed to be there, having four of our trustees on the committee, two of whom are African-American, was very important because they brought different perspectives to it. And they really helped us move it forward once it came out of there. So it was that. And then we set up a course over the next couple of years of things that we were going to do, uh, work we were going to do on campus uh, around different ways of teaching, different things we we're going to do, different ways of educating, different policies we would look at putting in place and doing all those. It's a, it's a long, it's a lot of stuff, but we've already begun it and the groups have begun working on it. So it'll evolve over the next year or two uh, before it's completely done. But things like that, you have to, um, they take time. You can't change them overnight because you're trying to change uh, the way people think about each other. And I guess the biggest thing that I've stressed in all that is it's, and it's not something that does anything other than we need to do it is I think the root of all that is just, is not good communications between people who are different. And by communications, it's listening to each other to understand each other and to gain a respect and appreciation for our differences versus letting them grind into us and they, we just solidify the split between us in doing that. So I'm hopeful. I've encouraged everybody on this campus to spend time talking to somebody who's different than you and get to understand them, listen to them, see where they came from, what, what drives them to do that. And hopefully they'll ask you the same thing. Is that approach the same or different, say in a college, than your leadership in business or in the community, or you've been a, you're a leader in the church as well? Well, I think it is somewhat different than in actually in a business environment. A college is different because you have so many different constituencies, some of which you don't have a lot of control over, or you, you cannot tell them what to do. And uh, they, have, they have their own governance process as a part of what you're doing faculty in particular, but you've also got alumni and others. So it's got to be, instead of saying you're going to do it, which you might in a business, you might have a better shot at doing it that way. This way you've really got to get people to come together around something and, and convince them that this is something we need to do. You're not going to convince them that every detail is just exactly like they want it. But the big thing is, are you moving forward? I mean, as, as, as people and as a society, we're ever evolving. It's a work in progress, and it always will be a work in progress, and we just have to keep moving forward versus moving back and just getting hung up on something that, that doesn't allow us to move forward but divides us. And in business, you, you've got a better chance to, to say, okay, the company says we're going to do X, and, and you do that. Uh, I think nonprofits are boards and stuff are a little different because you've got the same kind of dynamic there. You don't have control necessarily over that, but it's still a little different, but colleges are different. In a business, it sounds like you can be a lot more directive. You, you can. The, the, I say that and you can, but the other side is you cannot be successful at it unless you can convince people to get on board and to follow you and to do it. So 
if you don't do it in a way that helps persuade people, helps people understand why they should do it, your success is probably going to be limited. What's that key to, what's the key to getting people on board and persuaded? I think it goes back to listening and communications. And, and in most cases, people feel like they communicate, but use, too many times it's communicating to tell somebody something and the listening is more to respond to what they're saying, where we need to listen to understand other people's points of view, where they're coming from, ask questions about it, get to know them in that, and then you can start communicating back and forth, trying to find solutions. That's a great phrase, listening to understand. Yeah, I, I just don't think people do that. It, it's more like a debate with a lot of people. They're listening to, to come back at you. And you've missed what the person said when you do that. I think that's often the case. In this year, I've struggled with knowing how to lead in the midst of several very large social upheavals. Uh, you mentioned COVID, of course. We've seen police, police injustice, social unrest, uh, social protest, that is, civil unrest. And in the country, we have very powerful political divisions right now. I wonder what you have seen or what you've learned about leading with combined challenges at hand. Doing one of those things would be very hard. We get to do them all at once. Well, I think it's hard. And it's one other one that you didn't mention, but it's a consequence of those other three. And that's the economic turmoil that is creating in people's lives, in businesses' lives, in churches' lives, in colleges' lives. So it's, it's, it's like a perfect storm that's all come together at one time and it, it all has different tentacles and different things to deal with. And what you've got to try to do it, again, and there aren't clear answers for any of it in this because it's really uncharted water. So you've got to try to get people to take a step at a time and move forward on them and use your best judgment and acknowledge that you're not going to be right every time, but let's move forward. If we're not, we'll change it and it will do something. But, Again, I think with all that going on, it's trying to get people to understand while not getting them to just panic the complexity of what you're dealing with. And if you really sit down and just focus on those things, you can just, you won't even come out of your room anymore. You just lock the door and just say, I'm, I'm not coming out, but you have to. And so you've got to take it a step at a time. And we've got to get where we can live, we can live and not live in fear. And I think that's a lot of what's going on now with a lot of the things going on there. A lot of people for, for fair reasons that are fearful about many, many things. And we've got to come together. And that's to me where if we can realize that I'm a person and that you're a person, we may be from miles apart in many ways, but if we sit down and talk to each other, I think we can, we can have a better chance of being able to find solutions that can help us move forward. I also think we all have to be realistic and say, you can't solve these things overnight. I mean, it's, it's like the virus. And, and we've had a lot of debate here about whether you should open or not. And because there are people who are genuinely afraid that they're going to come back and they're going to get sick and they're going to, they're going to die. Well, you've, you've got to do the things that you think you need to be done to come, come back because I think we need to continue to do the things we do in life as best we can, realizing that we have to change some things. Like we need to wear masks. We need to distance. We need to sanitize. There are things that we can't do that are unnatural for us 
but we have to set an example. We have to lead people in doing that if you're going to get through them. And you've got to be willing to, you've got to have the conviction that what you're trying to do, although you don't know the detail, is the right thing to do. That keeps you kind of moving forward on it because it's really easy just to throw up your hands right now and walk away from everything. And uh, that doesn't solve anything. And we're, regardless of the storm we're in, it is a storm, we still got a lot of blessings to be thankful for that we can build on and that we can grow from and we can get better from. And that's what you have to get people to, to try to come to grips with and try to trust you to do. And, you know, in a environment that has so much going on, it is really hard for people to trust people. They, they don't, they don't know their motives. They don't understand them or they don't accept them. And if you do something different than what they think should be done, there are times when they'll just say, well, you're a, you're a, you're an X, you're a Y, you're a something, generally not a good name. Not a sweetheart. Yeah. And you just have to be willing to work through that. Yes. You're pointing out that leading means that sometimes people won't always be very nice to you. And that's just part of the role of being a leader. People are going to be upset with us when we leave. Well, I, I do think in all this, for me at least, it, it's where your faith comes into play because that's really a rock, the rock that you need to cling to. I was telling somebody the other night, over the last year and a half, because I've been a lot going on then, I've started each day, I, I do my devotion, then I write my prayers out. The things I'm praying about, is I've got notebooks about this high. I said, now if somebody reads those things, they're going to go through them and wonder why I'm still alive after some of the days and some of the, the feelings that I had. But I find it is helpful to me to do that. And I've always started each one by being thankful for the things that, that are there. And, and doing that and go from there. But if, if, if you don't have something to me, for me, if you don't have that to turn to and lean on, then I think it gets very hard if you think you got to do it all by yourself because um, I, use it, I can't sustain it. Somebody else may. So I hear you have a practice every morning as uh, part of your, after reflecting on scripture, you're also praying, particularly starting in gratitude and then dealing with, with the unpleasant parts or challenging. Right. And that seems an important point. Presbyterian College is a church-related institution. I mean, it's, it was started by the church. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up. That was actually my next question. You're ahead of the curve. I wonder a little bit, um, college has a clear group of people that it serves. I, I would assume above all, that is students, young adults. Right. And I wonder, if, has there been anything distinctive in leading an institution for those college-age students and the college students themselves, particularly in the tumult of this year? Well, I think the thing to me that, that makes all this stuff that we're going through now, and we've been through the last three or four or five years changing these things, what makes it worthwhile is the students. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be at a college if there weren't students. And they weren't here for five months starting in March until, you know, three weeks ago. And they are what make the school and what makes it makes them special is because you, you see their enthusiasm, their energy, their capabilities, and their excitement. And you see their potential. And, and the most rewarding thing in, in this sort of job is to meet young people when they're freshmen and to see them when they're seniors and to see them all along the way and to see how much they've changed, how they've grown, how they've matured 
how they're different from when they came in and they're more well, they're more equipped to go out and be successful in whatever they choose to do going out. But it's, it's the young people that do that. On the other hand, you have to have patience because at least when I was young, young people do stupid things and you have to, and they have to be consequences and things that go along with that, but you have to have, you have to deal with it in the context of an educational institution, and in this case, an educational institution who operates within the context of the Christian faith. So I think you're trying to educate and develop young people. So you have to work through those things, in my opinion, showing grace and love as you work through it uh, to deal with that. But it's in some ways, being at a college like this and being a president is you've got 1,500 children. And And those of you that have children know I've got four, uh, that's a job in and of itself because they can always get somewhere they shouldn't be. But to do it, and so you feel, you worry about them, you care about them, you want them to be successful, you want them to be safe. But it's the fun of seeing them develop and the excitement of thinking about what they can do when they get out into the world and, and have an opportunity to change things. That sounds exciting. You mentioned Presbyterian College being a Christian in- institution. Is there something particular about the college? Put another way, how do you see the Christian faith? How do you see the Christian faith reflected in the life of the college today? Well, I think uh, again, all things are changing, but I think we—it's it, hard when your name is Presbyterian College to avoid the sense that you're connected to a denomination or a church, which we are, and which we claim proudly. We're not a Bible college, but we are grounded in those those principles. And I think what. I see us doing is we, our motto is while we live, we serve, which is clearly a, to me, it's a spiritual reference about what we should do as human beings. We should be serving others with our lives, not just ourselves and doing that. So I think you see that in various ways. I mean, we're, we're a place that we have a convocation. We have something, we have a dinner or something. Uh, Whoever's putting it on and does it, we open with a prayer. I think, I think that's important. Now, now it's not forcing our religion on anybody, and we have all different faiths and no faiths that are here. But we we want to and believe we do operate, you know, kind of love one another, and as as we as we do ourselves is a premise of what we would go about doing and teaching the, the importance of serving, the importance of having a belief in something that can sustain you. Uh, in, in those times. We have not run away from that over the years. Uh, so I, I think it's I think it's kind of prevalent throughout the college. And then you go back to the name. It's hard to get away from it. If you're going to come to Presbyterian College, it's probably not a something. It's probably something related to Presbyterian Church. It's hard to not notice, I'm sure. Thinking perhaps a little more generally about leading and leadership at the college or anywhere, what have you learned that's especially new this year, or maybe the other side of that coin? Has something been confirmed for you? Well, I, I guess the thing that probably has been confirmed more to me than anything else is you just have to trust that God has set a path before you. And it, it may not be the path that you choose or you want in doing things, but if you will trust that God has set a path there and you will go about doing your things and not try to, and this is, I'm not good at this really, but you cannot, if you don't, you'll drive yourself crazy because you'll worry yourself sick over everything. And 
I've come to the point where now if it's something significant, we have to decide I'll worry over it, but then I'll say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I'll, I'll, I'll give it to God and, and let it, let it play out as it, as he is playing it out. And if, if it needs adjusting along the way, he'll usually point the direction to do that. So I, I think it's, it's realizing that, especially today, that you just can't do it yourself. You've got to have that in there. Plus, you've got to have good people around you that you trust. That will, And you've got to listen to them, and you've got to value them, and you've got to appreciate them. And then you have to go do what you're going to do and be willing to stick to it through some really difficult times. And those difficult times to me, it, well, right now you've got a lot of unknowns going on that could send things a, a thousand different ways. The most difficult times for me are when people personally attack you because you've made decisions in, in ways that are just not, we can all disagree and it's okay to disagree, but um, some of it can get pretty personal and you've got to be strong in your belief that what you're doing is the right thing or you're just it, it'll rip you apart and so i think that's the difficult that's the most difficult part in le- of leadership at any time but particularly in times when there's a lot of stress there's a lot of uncertainty and all that going on because you feel like in many respects and you are in many respects you're carrying a lot of people's hopes and burdens and all with you and you have a big responsibility to them and when people uh, turn on you for different reasons because they don't agree with it, uh, it, it's, it can be discouraging, and you really have to pick yourself back up and keep moving along at what you think is the right thing to do. It occurs to me that sort of connects two things. You've talked about the theological word is calling. You have a sense that God has a path before you. And then relying on God to lead that, to guide you forward in that, even when people turn against you personally which is one of the, the pieces of leadership that is, is uh, not pleasant to experience. I, I agree. One of the things now, I did a little talk yesterday on, for opening, a, a virtual over, opening convocation that has not been shown yet, but one of the things to me on, on a lot of the unrest, if, if we would all follow the command, it's Matthew twenty two twenty nine, kind of love your neighbors as you love yourself. We could solve a lot of today's problems if we would each approach life that way, because you would change yourself, you would change others, you'd change the communities you're living in. It's to me, it's that simple, um, and we just need to do that more. You're the second non-congregational leader to say almost exactly that. It's very interesting to me. I actually use the Gene Peterson phrase from the message, and it I forget what it was. A little different. It was a little more. It, it was a little more in today's words, but it was the same thing uh, in, in terms of doing that. There was a song I heard a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, by a guy named Mac McAnally, who's, who, who's a guitar player. He's pretty, very accomplished. But he plays with Jimmy Buffett, but he's also an individual. According, it's a song is uh, Once in a Lifetime, and the chorus line is, and I never thought of it this before, but the chorus line is, every day is once in a lifetime. And I used that yesterday to try to challenge young people to think about it. Today is the only time you'll have this day. Don't waste it. What are you going to do with it? How can you make a difference? But each day, today it'll be gone. At midnight tonight, it'll be gone. 
tomorrow will start a new one that will only be here for 24 hours. And it's just really, it, it is once in a lifetime. So what are you going to do with it? It's a great, great observation. It really struck me. I just heard it on the radio. It really struck me. It just made me think, and it's, re- it's really a great way to think about each day. It is. It's a good way to frame it, that, that time is, is uh, limited. I wonder if uh, you have a practical suggestion you would make to other leaders inside the church, outside the church, Christian, non-Christian. Well, I guess the biggest one, this is more about what you do for yourself. You've got to maintain some balance in your life. And if you're going to lead, it's, it's doubly important. I think part of it is you got to take care of yourself. You got to exercise, whether it's walking or doing this or doing that, you got to do something to take a break. You've also got to have some things that do that take you away from what you're doing. Just again, refresh you. You've, you've got to, you've got to ensure that you stay strong, both mentally and physically and emotionally as you go through difficult times. And each person is different, but if you get, and we all get unbalanced. I sure do. When you get in the middle of it, it's just 24 hours a day, every day, trying to get it done. But you have to come back and refresh yourself somewhere along the way, or you'll just crash and burn. I think you'll give out. You'll just, uh, I mean, I would have never imagined at 74 years old, I would be able to, I would be doing this first. And some would probably say I shouldn't be, but would have the energy to do it. And the enthusiasm to do it, and that's where it comes back to the young people. That's what makes it fun, and that's what makes it worthwhile because you're dealing with people who are going to be your future. You also see, um, you also learn a lot because if, if you're, you're we're with a diverse group of students who from all sorts of different walks of, of life and all sorts of conditions, and you start seeing things that you maybe didn't see before. So I just think it's taking care of yourself, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. Take care of the people in your family and the people that are working with you and, and all those things because you can't accomplish anything without other people, and they need to be appreciated even when it's in hard times. You need to let them know that they're being appreciated so they will come back and, and help all of us get there, even in tough times. And these are tough times right now in many places, and they're tough times in colleges. Yes, I think, I think we can agree. These are not easy days. <laughs> kind of wrapping up, I, I just want to ask you, do you have uh, anything else that you want to say or offer? Well, I, I, I would encourage anybody who wants to be in a leadership role to acknowledge that you don't know everything. The biggest, it happened to me when I first became president of Colonial Life. After about two months, I went into the office of the predecessor, who was the board chair, and said, I need to resign. And he said, why? I said, because I don't know the answers to all the questions. And he started laughing. He said, well, that's why you get good people around you to do that. But it's easy to think that you need to be the person that knows the answer to everything, and you don't, and you can't. So you've got to get people around you. You've got to trust them. You've got to get my, my view of leading is if things are going right, you want everybody working with you, getting all the credit and you want to be somewhere down the road in the back where nobody can see you. If it goes wrong, you need to be right out there front saying it's, I did it. I own it. It's my responsibility. So you you're doing that, but you've got to have people 
and you've got to acknowledge it. You, no person has all the answers. And if, if you think you do, you're, you're deceiving yourself. And if you feel like you need to, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So it's not, it's, it's really not a place in there to uh, think that you know everything. Well, thanks, particularly for that story. That's uh, very helpful. Uh, I appreciate you, you sharing that with me. Sure. Thanks so much to Bob Staten for his time, insight, and experience. And thank you for listening to Leaders Learning. I would love to hear your thoughts on the conversation, and I hope you join me next time. Maybe you know someone I should speak with on the Leaders Learning podcast. If so, send me an email and maybe their contact details to leaderslearning2020 at gmail.com. You can catch up on all of our conversations at the website leaderslearning.net. God bless and hope to see you soon, one way or another.